0: You guys can start turning to 1 Kings chapter 19, uh, continuing, our, continuing our series in Elijah. Uh, so we're going to go ahead and read through this uh, verses 1 through 18, and then we'll come back and talk about it. <clears throat> Ahab, starting verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them. By this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now. O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him, and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there There was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the Mount of God. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek to take my life away. And he said, Go, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper." And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat of abel Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him." So let's do, uh, let's do a little recap here. So if you guys have been here the past couple of weeks, you'd know uh, what, what's kind of going on so far. So, <clears throat> so there's two kingdoms right now, right? Israel and Judah. And Ahab is the king of Israel, and he's married to Jezebel. And neither of them are uh, what you would call savory characters, right? They're, they're, uh, they're pretty wicked. And they lead Israel into wickedness as well. And uh, Elijah shows up, and he says, Okay, um, if you don't want to follow the Lord, you're not going to get the blessings of the Lord either. And he says, It's not going to rain until I say so, right? So three years go by, and it doesn't rain in Israel. And that's kind of a big deal, right? I mean, we were just talking, I guess, last week. It it didn't rain for, like, almost three weeks, and everybody was like, where's the rain coming? We're in trouble. And it was like, oh, it's nice, right? Rain. Um, So three years. Three years go by, not a drop of rain. Um, So Elisha comes back, and he basically, you know, what comes is, like, the ultimate showdown, right, in, in Old Testament history, one of the ultimate showdowns. And he says, okay, if Yahweh is God, let's follow him. If Baal God, let's follow him. But we're going to put it to the test. And this is what we're going to do. We're, we're both going to set up an altar, and we're going to prepare a bull for sacrifice. Whoever's God can make those spontaneously combust, that's going to be God, right? That's going to be the God that, that, we, that we serve and, and, and evidentially uh, God. So they say, great. So Elijah gives them every advantage, right? It's 450 prophets of Baal versus just Elijah, right? So they, he's outnumbered. He gives them the best time of day, right? The hottest part of the day. Uh, and he gives them hours, hours to do it, right? So they literally have every advantage that you could think of in this situation. Um, and nothing, nothing happens. They go for hours, zero. Um, and so Elijah gets up to bat. He builds his altar, he prepares his bull. And not only does Elijah not have those advantages, he actually handicaps himself. He says, okay, not only are we gonna do that, we're gonna take some water and we're gonna drench the entire thing, just douse it in water. Um, and they're like, okay, right? They're probably more than willing to go with that. And so he does. And sure enough, he prays to God, and fire falls, boom. And not only does it consume the, uh, the, the sacrifice and the altar, but it actually dries up all the water as well, right? So after this happens, um, they kill the prophets of Baal. Elijah says, Ahab, you better get home. A, a, a Rain is a-coming. And sure enough, torrential rain, right? He prays to God, torrential rain just comes down in, in, in uh, like a, almost like hurricane force, I'm sure. Um, and that pretty much brings us to where we are here, right? So, so, it's like I said, ultimate showdown. Really, if there's any way, like they say, you can't really prove God's existence, maybe not, but it, this is about as close as you're going to get, right? <laughs> about as close as you're going to get. Fire falling, all this stuff. Okay, so picking up in verse 1. Pick up in the story. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger, messenger to Elijah saying, So sorry about... That whole confusion with the God thing, you know, we thought Baal was God, but clearly he's not. Yahweh's God. We're gonna tear down all of the Baal altars. We're gonna, you know, start following up Yahweh. You know, sorry about the whole threats to your life thing and everything, you know. Why don't you come over from dinner sometime? We'd love to make it up to you. No, not not if you're paying attention, that's not what she says at all, right? What does she actually say? So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. She's talking about the prophets. She's basically putting it, she's threatening him, right? She's putting out a hit on Elijah. Now, kind of, usually when, if you were, you, you would think, okay, if I, maybe, if I had even heard someone saying, oh yeah, like fire came down from heaven and all this stuff happened, you might be like, oh, you know what, I might have a few things wrong about how I see the world, right? Maybe, maybe, you know, Yahweh is God. You would think that would be the, the case, but no. Uh, she digs in her heels, basically, and says, uh-uh. I don't care. Um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna do what I want and I'm gonna follow the God that I want, right? Despite some pretty blatant evidence, right? What causes people, what causes people to reject obvious truths, right? And, and ultimately the answer, especially in this case, is pride, right? Um, pride, if we could boil it down to like a sentence: pride is my will be done instead of thy will be done, right? So Satan being the ultimate example of pride where God had made him. Uh, for a certain purpose, to do something. And he says, no, it's not good enough. I want to be greater. I want to be something better than what God has made me to be. Um, and ultimately, it's to his detriment. And uh, it's going to be to Jezebel's detriment as well. Um, and for whatever reasons that, you know, she prefers this, um, you know, at the end of the day, nobody really likes to change. At least I don't. I, I, I would be fully forward with you in that one. Um, there are times in my life where, you know, uh, you know, I'll just say, it, you know, oftentimes in my, my, my marriage, my wife will kind of be like, Ben, you know, you're a little like this, and you should be less like this. And it's true, you know what I mean? Like, it's true, but you're like, oh, I don't want to admit that. that's true. Why? Because now i got to change, right? i gotta, I got to change my behaviors. And that's the thing. We fall in these patterns that are either comfortable or we just like them. You know, Jezebel, uh, her position was more likely that she had status in the church of Baal, if you want to call it that. And that probably led her to some power and probably some pleasures as well. Um, and she's not, even though it's clear that Baal is, is a non-God, right? She, she doesn't want to give that up. And it's easy to look at Old Testament examples, especially when we see like miracles and say, well, that, that would never happen to me, right? Well, I tend to think maybe it would, like maybe we're not that different, you know? Maybe there are things in our lives that we see that are evidence of God and that we oftentimes ignore. Because Why? They're just truths that come and it's like, hey, if it's the truth, we have to accept it. It's as plain and simple as that, whether it's easy for us or difficult. It doesn't matter. Um, and ultimately, her uh, we'll see later down the road, her her rejection of, of the truth um, is going to lead to her demise, but that's coming. So the, that's the question for, for a personal application. The question is, you know, are there truths in our lives today that we can think of that we're resisting rather than accepting? Sometimes we just don't know. Sometimes we just don't know the truth and, you know, we're, we're blissfully ignorant, but God's going to bring those along our way. And the question is, how do we respond to those truths, um, especially when it comes to us needing to change or something like that, right? I know for me, it's difficult. It's very difficult. I have a very hard time admitting that I'm wrong. My wife will attest to that. Okay. Um, okay. So, uh, so Elijah um, starts to get a little worried, right? Uh, think, things have not gone quite as he had hoped, I'm sure. Like, I'm sure when fire falls down from heaven, you think, great, game over. We're gonna, everybody's going to turn to God, and we're going to just move on. Not the case, uh, we're going to see it's quite the opposite. So, uh, picking up in verse 3. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and he left his servant there. Sometimes people give uh, Elijah some flack for this, right? Because he takes off. But the truth of the matter is, there are times in the Bible where it's just it's the right thing to do. So, if you think in Acts chapter 9, uh, Paul becomes a Christian. Um, and he starts teaching uh, in the synagogues and whatnot about Christianity. And, and so the Jews pick up wind of this and they think, wow, he's a traitor, let's kill him. Um, and what, what happens after that? Well, the, the believers, they get him in a basket, they lower him over the wall, and, he's, and he splits, right? Um, same sort of thing happens with Mary and Joseph uh, when uh, they find out that Herod wants to kill Jesus. They, what does God actually tell them? They say, hey, get out of here, go to Egypt, get out of town. Um, and so they do. So there's times where uh, getting out of the situation is actually the right thing to do. Now his fear may have been a little misguided perhaps, because really pro- there was nothing for him to fear, right? God had it all under control. But uh, I, would, I would argue that his, his actions are actually the correct thing. Um, one of the interesting things that, that, I, that we pick up in here is also his servant. He has this unnamed servant that he leaves behind, uh, which is in, is in contrast uh, to Elisha, who we're going to see later on. So later on, there's a, there's a point where Elijah and Elisha, are walking together, and Elijah tells Elisha, listen, it's going to get hard. You might want to hang back and just stay here. And Elisha says, "Uh uh-uh. Wherever you're going, I'm going, because you're following the Lord, and I want to follow him with you. That's basically what he says, right? Um, And he actually tries to incentivize him not to, to come along with him, but Elisha pushes through. And this servant, um, in contrast, we don't even know his name. He decides to hang back. He decides to play it safe, right? Um, I'm sure Elijah probably gave him the same thing. Like, look, it's going to get tough here, man. And He's probably like, "Okay, I'm gonna stay here," and the, and and so there's a quote. There's a quote that I love by G.K. Chesterton. which says, "When belief in God becomes difficult, the tendency is to turn away from Him. But in Heaven's name, to what?" The same I think could be said said after following God. Sometimes uh, it gets difficult. There are times where God calls us to do things that are scary or just um, you know require a lot of us. And sometimes it's easy just to be like, "Well, you know what? I'm just gonna step back from this one." But the question is, you know, what do we miss out on? Um, As G.K. Chesterton picks up here, you know, you can't just turn away from something. Anytime you turn away from something, you're going to turn towards something else. It's just how it works. Then the question is, um, you know, where are you going to turn to for life? Peter, uh, so in the the New Testament, Jesus is teaching uh, the people and he starts saying some things that are very difficult for them to understand or to accept and they start turning away from him. And he goes to, he turns to his disciples, are you guys going to leave me too? And what does Peter say? He says, where are we going to go? You have the words of life, right? At the end of the day, you know, it's, it, there are times when we want to turn away from God, where we want to stop following him, um, but ultimately, wh- where are we going to turn for life? Where are you going to go for life? God, God is the God of life, um, and there is nowhere else to go, this just the truth. So um, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about what that means for us. Okay, <clears throat> picking up in verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. So, a couple of things here. So, if Elijah really wanted to die, I mean, he could have just stayed put. There was a woman there who was more than willing and able to help him out with that, right? I mean, if that was really what he was looking for. Uh, I think, I, I mean, I feel like I can kind of relate to this a little bit. So I've never gone through anything uh, nearly as bad as Elijah. But fortunately for you guys, like my wife tells me all the time, I'm, I'm very dramatic. So, uh, so things, you know, maybe uh, uh, apply to me in ways that they shouldn't. But, um, <laughs> but there are times where you just, like, life gets tough, man, whether we like it or not. It's just the way it is. And uh, there are those moments where you just think, man, you know what? Like, listen, I mean, I like you guys, but... I'd rather be with God, if we were to be perfectly honest. Like if God was like, okay, you can stay here or be with me, I mean, sorry, you guys are losing every time, right? Um, and I think that's part of Elijah's heart. He's like, you know what? It is tough. God, I'd rather, be, I would rather just be with you. It would be so much easier. We wouldn't have to deal with all this stress. We wouldn't have to deal with the way of the world. Um, you know, we'd just be together, and, and that's ultimately, and I think ultimately that's part of God's heart as well. God wants us to be with him. Um, but... As we're going to see, God has plans for Elijah. He's not done with him here, Um, and uh, but yeah, I mean, I can understand this. I don't think he really necessarily, you know, wanted to die per se, but he wanted to be removed from the situation, right? He wanted to be taken away into a better one. Um, And he even says here in uh, in verse four, um, "No better than my fathers." He comes to a point where he really recognizes that he's got no power. Change anybody, you know. He just—they just witnessed the greatest miracle. And honestly, it didn't have any really anything really to do with Elijah. All he did was he built an altar, he's, he prepared a bull, and that was it. He didn't make the fire happen. That was what God's. That was what God did, right? God actually performed the miracle. Elijah just did what he could, what God called him to do. Um, and he realizes, like, okay, if God sending down fire from heaven is not going to change people, like, I got nothing, right? There's no way I'm gonna I'm gonna really be able to to do anything about for, for anybody. And that's that's kind of true. That's not the whole truth, but it's a part of it. And so, um, so he comes to this, to this realization that you know he's not any better than, than anybody that's come before him. And what's interesting, too, is this, um, this imagery of a broom tree. So we're not real familiar with broom trees, but I'm going to make you a little more familiar. So broom trees, uh, broom trees were used back in the day for starting fires. And the reason was, you know, you start burning the wood, it turns to coals, and eventually it turns to ashes. Now, what makes the broom tree a little unique is that once it turns to ashes, it still re- retains a lot of its heat. So it's great for starting fires and keeping fires going, right? And the imagery that's being conveyed here is, look, Elijah is a guy who is burned out. He is ashes right now. He has like nothing left to, to offer. He, he has nothing left to go on. Um, he is at his, his rock bottom point right here. And we're gonna see how God uh, responds to him. So picking up in verse five, <clears throat> And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. So, uh, so God sees this. He sees Elijah. He sees that he's uh, desperate, right? And what does he do? He he delivers him, but not probably not in the way that Elijah was looking for. So Elijah he asks that hey, just God remove me from the, the situation entirely, right? God doesn't do that. Um, he probably also would have liked it if God like actually like I don't know if Israel just turned turned towards God. I mean that was what Elijah was hoping for to begin with, right? That that Israel would turn their hearts to him, that everything would be better, you know what I mean? He wouldn't have to run for his life, you know all these things. That's that's what he was ultimately hoping for. But neither of those things happen. What does happen? Well, God gives him what he needs to, en- to endure through his, his circumstances, right? Paul has a very uh, similar situation. If we, if you, you don't have to turn there, but I'm just going to read it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 7-9, Paul writes, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord, about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, usually, when we come to difficult times, um, our, ne- our knee-jerk reaction is, well, God, get me out of this. You know what I mean? Or, God, take the situation away from me. But there are times when God calls us to a, a higher calling, which is, okay, you're, I'm not going to take you out of this, but I am going to help you through this difficult times, right? There's times where God calls us, has a higher calling for us. Um, one of the, another another good example of that is like imprecatory psalms. If you read in psalms, there's all these psalms, they call them imprecatory. If you go to, you know, if you go to like seminary, you'll hear that term. But uh, basically, the psalms are all the same, where it says, okay, here are my enemies, they're evil, take them out, Lord. Like, that's basically what they all boil down to, right? And then Jesus comes along and says, "Oh, you got enemies? I got the solution for you. Love your enemies. Do good to those who curse you. Uh, do good to those who uh, spitefully use you. Bless those who curse you. Right? He has a higher calling, and there's a couple reasons for that. One, it, it's, a, it's a demonstration um, of who God is, really. When we get a chance to to step into that higher road, right? Um, that, that's that's the road that God takes for us, right? Um, God would have been, so just take a look at humanity, God would have been completely within his, his rights to just, you know, oh, humanity sinned and blew it, <laughs> gone, All right, start over again, right, he could have, but he didn't, um, he sent Christ to, to die for us instead, he took the high road to, to redeem us, and uh, when he gives us a chance to do that, um, it's, that's how we really get to learn more about God and, and, and the person of God, because um, we're experiential creatures, that's the way we, we learn things, and furthermore, um, it's how God grows us. If everything was easy, nobody would, uh, would be, you know, we wouldn't be constantly being molded in the shape of Christ. That's not something that just happens. It's something that happens through, usually, adversity. So, for instance, the, the, the example I usually give is uh, weightlifting. So I don't know if any of you guys have been to the gym or whatever, but uh, if you are going to the gym and you just do the same workouts over and over again, you lift the same weight and you do the same amount of reps and you just do that day in, day out, you will get really good at lifting those weights at that many times, right? But you're never going to grow. Um, you're never going to get more strength. You're never going to build more muscle. In order to do that, you've got to up the weight. You've got to keep adding to it, right, and make it tougher and tougher and tougher to keep lifting that. It's the same way with us. Um, God is going to stretch you. Might, some of you might be being stretched right now. It's probably, I guess, I'd say they pro- you probably are. Um, but this is how God works in us, right? He, gives us, he puts us through difficult situations. Um, and, and it refines us, right, it's like a, a refiner's fire. The thing about it is that uh, sometimes we feel like, um, like it's too much, right? There's a, another qu- there's a quote, I, I, I love this quote, it's from, I actually saw it on like a t-shirt I think at the gym one time, and uh, basically the, the quote is, your body will quit, no, what is it? No, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm butchering it, so that's not good. Uh, your mind will quit a thousand times before your body does, Right? And that's very true. I can tell you, uh, I, I used to play football, and I can tell you, like, if it wasn't for my coaches pushing me through a lot of the stuff that we did, like, I, never, I would have been like, I can't do this. Um, and sometimes we, we feel that way, right? We feel like we can't go any further. We can't, we can't endure anymore. Um, but God knows us more than, he knows us better than we know ourselves, right? And the truth of the matter is, God's not going to put you in a situation that you can't handle. Um, the question is, you know, when, when we're going through difficulties, do we ask God for deliverance from those, those circumstances, or do we ask God for the grace to endure? Um, in Isaiah 42, verse three, God says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. God is not gonna let you guys be, be put out, right? Um, he's not gonna give you more than you can hand, handle it. it. may feel like that sometimes. Um, but the question is, do we trust God in that? Do we trust that God is gonna put us in circumstances that um, we're able to to navigate through, um, or do we not trust him? Do we, and, if we don't, we're going we're gonna to falter in those, in those points of our lives. Okay, picking up in verse 9. There he came to a cave and lodged in it, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek to take, my, take it away. So uh, God asked a pretty straightforward question, but he gets kind of a mouthful, right? A lot of what Elijah says here really doesn't have anything to do with the question. And usually what that, what that shows is that there's a lot going on in Elijah right now, right? He is a little troubled by all the circumstances that are going on around him, and that's why most of, most of his response, I mean, really only the last thing he says there is, is, applies, right? That he's, he's basically running for his life. That, that he could have just said that, and that would have been it, right? But he, he unloads this whole thing on God, right? So, so how does God respond to him in this? In verse uh, 11, And he, God, said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke, the pieces, uh, broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper what god is telling him here and this when you read this the first time you're like it's kind of a confusing interaction um but what god is really showing him here is look elijah you are so focused on all the stuff that's going on around around you all the troubles all the things that you think are wrong um and you're you're forgetting that i'm right here but in order to see me you have to focus on me you gotta stop focusing on your circumstances and the things that are going on around you and quiet yourself and focus on me because i'm right here, okay? Uh, and we see Elijah's response right here in uh, verse 13. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Um, so he literally takes his cloak and wraps it around his face and he put blinders on. He's like, okay, I'm going to literally just t- physically tune out everything that's going on so I can focus on the Lord. Maybe some of you need to do that today. Uh, maybe you need to get in your prayer closet. Maybe you need to get in the woods by yourself or something like that. Um, but, you know, there is something to be said about getting you know, putting yourself in a place where you can focus on the Lord as um, a kind of a practical application here that Elijah gives us. So uh, picking up back in 13 again, and behold, there came a voice to him. He said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left and they seek my life to take it away. So, A little bit of deja vu here, right? I mean, literally verbatim, the exact same conversation. Like, it's just now, you know, they they, they had a little, you know, God showed them one thing, but now they come right back to it, right? And when Elijah does start focusing on God, he still has the same problems before him, right? And what are they? Basically, it it boils down to uh, three things. Um, You know, I've been living this righteous life, and I'm the one that's suffering. Everybody is turning away from God. Um, despite what he's done, and it's to their detriment and to God's ultimate dishonor, right? And, uh, and I'm all alone. I'm all by myself here. And these are the three things that he comes with. And, uh, and uh, I mean, there's, there's a certain sense of truth to all of that, um, but it's not the whole truth, and uh, we're going to see God's response um, to that. So in verse 15... And the Lord said to him, go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. Did I say, I I can't tell if I'm saying Syria the first time or Israel. Am I saying that right? I feel like I'm not, I don't know. Sorry. (laughs) I'm having a moment of doubt here. Okay, when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall shall anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Mahola, you shall anoint to be the prophet in your place, and the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So God actually gives him something that most of us don't get, right, which is a glimpse into his plan, right? God says, okay, listen, Elijah." I get it, right? You, you're looking at all these things that are going around and saying, it's not right. Justice is on its way. It's going to come. Um, you know, God does not allow his justice to rest forever. Eventually, um, he, you know, he, he brings judgment, and he says, it's, it's coming. Not only that, you're not alone, Elijah. I've got 7,000 people that I've saved for myself that have, not, that have not bowed the knee to Baal, right? You may think you're alone, and that may even be a slim amount of people. So 7,000, especially in the scheme of, like, hundreds of thousands of people that may have been living in Israel it's still a, a, a low margin, but God says, don't worry, I got it, right, I got enough people, um, and then, oh, and then he also says to him, look, not only am I giving you help, I'm actually bringing in the bullpen, like, your, your time is coming to an end, Elijah, there's someone coming to take your place, and while it's tough now, that rest is coming. So, um, the thing about it, Elijah, like I said, is, it, it, this is kind of a rare thing, usually God doesn't supernaturally just reach out to us and be like, hey, look, this is the whole plan. Don't worry about it. We got this, right? Usually uh, we're a little in the dark about what's going on. A lot of times we go through uh, difficulties and things like that, wondering why? Like, why is this all happening to me? Why, why am I going through this time? Os Guinness, I, I, I collect quotes, um, and this is one of my favorites from a guy named Oz Guinness. Christians do not say to God, I do not understand you at all, but I trust you anyway. That would be suicidal. Rather, they say, father i do not understand you but i trust you or more accurately i do not understand you in this situation but i understand why i trust you anyway it is therefore reasonable to trust even when we do not understand we may be in the dark about what god is doing but we are not in the dark about god the thing about is um let's say just a stranger walked up to you they gave you a cup and they said yo you got to try this uh, you might be like, well, you, you know, you're probably not just be like, sure, thanks, Clogue, right? You're more probably like, ask some questions. Even if they answer those questions, you're probably be like, nah, that's okay. You can, you can hang on to that. I don't know what it is. It's yours. Um, but if someone you know and you love, right, is sister, brother, mother, whoever, right, someone you know and you trust, they come to you and say, yo, you got to try this. You might still have some questions, but you're more likely to, like, give it a shot, right? Because you're like, sure, like, you know, uh, maybe it's fantastic or maybe it's something that's going to that's gonna blow your mind. Um, and that's, that's how, that's right, right? Um, what Oz Guinness is basically saying here is like, look, if we didn't know anything about God, um, trusting him could be somewhat detrimental, right? Um, but the fact of the matter is, while we don't know what God is always doing, um, we, we do know something about God, right? We know a lot about God, and we, what have we seen in his word? That he, that he loves us, right? And the ultimate, the ultimate proof of that is Jesus, right? So sometimes we, I think we, we fail... I think we all, I'm, I'm pretty sure, we all fail to miss the gravity of the sacrifice of Christ. None of us truly understand it. But you got to. this is what you do have to understand. Um, there was no higher price to be paid, right? Like, Jesus comes down, he lives a perfect life, and he essentially takes on the moral debt that we owed, um, that we could not repay. And, like, imagine if, like, the price was, like, uh, you know, a million bucks or whatever, that's a pretty low price. But, you know, God just be like, boom, done, no problem, right? There's nothing in creation that would suffice. God pays the price with himself. There was no higher price to be paid. There's nothing like God. Um, he's an uncreated being, and therefore, you know, we have no capacity to even imagine something that's... And why? Why does he do this? Why does he um, step in and intervene? Well, it's because he loves us, Right? And that's the thing you've got to realize is that God loves you today. And if you're going through difficulties, you've got to understand, God loves you. He's letting you go through these things for a reason. As Paul said, in his case, you know, it's to keep him from being conceited. Maybe there's other reasons for it. Maybe it's to help you grow. Maybe it's to show you more about him. Who knows? Um, but God is not unaware of your situation, um, and he's ordained it, and he's with you. And if you're not going through difficulties, guess what? They're probably going to come. I would probably bank on it. Uh, I know difficulties are probably coming from me. I mean, you know, I've had some, but, you know, I'm, I'm kind of planning for it, right? Um, which is probably a good thing. We probably all should. Um, how do we trust God? Well, the answer is, like, what Os is saying: to know him, right? To know him more. Um, the more we know him, the more we, we can, it, the easier it is for us to put our, our trust and our faith in him. Um, so I'm going to call, I'm going to go ahead and call the, the band up here. And... Uh, for you guys today, maybe you've never, uh, maybe you've never even uh, taken that first step. Maybe uh, you say, "Man, I'm sitting here. I've never, I've never even known Jesus." Um, well, today's the day, man. Today's the day. Don't waste any more time. If you don't know Jesus at all, um, come talk to me, we talk to Ezra, Keith, Brian, whoever. Um, we we want to, we want you to know him. Um, and for some of you, maybe are going through difficulties right now, and you're saying, "Man, I'm struggling, having a hard time understanding why." Um, you know, maybe, I need, maybe you need to know him more. And uh, that's not going to come overnight, per se, but, um, but we would at least like to pray for you and, and help you um, because, you know, you can intellectually know things, but sometimes in the heart, that's a little harder, right? And that's why we're, we have the body of Christ where the hands and feet of Christ We're want to reach out and, and help you. So um, let's pray. And uh, if you want, like I said, if you want to come as they're singing or you want to wait till afterwards, that's fine, but um, grab someone. If, you're, if, you're going, if that really speaks to you, Grab somebody, um, and you know, we want to at least pray with you, okay? All right, let's pray, and we'll close.